Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon and welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk news radio program. And I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, The Reasonable Voice. My guest today is actor and playwright Lillian Isabella, who was commissioned, by the way, by the Obie Award-winning Metropolitan Playhouse to create and perform her first documentary theater play about world-renowned avant-garde filmmaker Jonas Mackus. Her play was entitled, That's How Angels Arranged. Lillian grew up in the Bronx, uh, which may be why she earned a first-degree black belt in Taekwondo, I don't know, and she was cast as Juror 8, that's the lead role in 12 Angry Men, and we'll talk about that a bit. Lillian attended NYU Tisch School of Arts and the Lee Strasberg Theater Institute, where she graduated with a BFA in theater, and she was awarded the Drama Award for Outstanding Achievement in Studio for her work at the Lee Strasberg Theater Institute. By the way, one of Ms. Isabella's great ancestors was given a horse by George Washington for fighting in the Revolutionary War. I don't know if that was payment for fighting in the Revolutionary War or something to ride during the Revolutionary War, but we'll ask Lillian. Actor Lillian Isabella has performed in New York theater and numerous independent films. I met Lillian at the Cherry Lane Theater in Lower Manhattan when she starred in her work, How We Love, backslash F asterisk CK, with my good friend, by the way, and former radio guest, the amazing actor Tullis McCall. Lillian, the playwright, gave a performance that proved she is as much genius on the stage as she is on the page. Hello again, actor-playwright Lillian Isabella. How are you? And thank you for being on, well, for being one of our reasonable voices. How's that? That sounds great. Thank you so much. What a great introduction. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. It's all you. I love it. Uh, it's been fascinating. <laughs> I actually spent more time studying you than I spent time in the theater with the play. But, you know... <laughs> it's a short play. <laughs> yes. That, yes, we should mention that. It's 90 minutes long and uh, no intermission, and I'll tell you, you'll be glued. It is amazingly intelligent, informative, politic, if I dare. But uh, we're going to go to that later. I, I digress. Here we go. 
First question. So which do you want to be? Scared or scary? <laughs> nice. I can see you really did do your research. <laughs> <laughs> um, I definitely would prefer to be scary. Okay, then. All right. Well, we'll see how scary it gets. Here's an easy one. <laughs> Most of us know what a Tony is, but perhaps there are some listening today who are less familiar with the Obie Award. So, Lillian Isabella, what is an Obie Award? Um, yeah, the Obie Awards are there for off-off-Broadway, and I believe also off-Broadway productions. And they, as I understand it, they change their award categories every year. Like, they can come up with new ones. It's more of a fluid thing. But it honors, I think, the best of downtown and uh, off-Broadway theater. Yes. Did I get it right? Yes, you did. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, um, I love documentary films. And I have uh, quite a library of them, of, you know, the work of Ken Burns, who I was, had a great pleasure of meeting once and had a little conversation. That was terrific. Great memory. Uh, but tell, tell us about the, the different challenges, if you will, for a documentary theater piece. Yeah. So um, documentary theater is not a very well-known genre of theater. Mm-hmm. Not too many people do it. But to me, it's the most fascinating form of theater because... It bridges fact, and then there's a certain element of imagination that comes into play as well. But the challenges are first finding subjects to interview, mm. um, because documentary theater can be one of two forms. Well, it's probably more than two, but it can be either based on already existing archival footage, interviews, articles, news, or it can be newly created from interviews. And interview-based documentary theater is kind of my passion. Mm-hmm. I really love, love doing it because your sources are people who are alive now. And to me, one of the best things about theater is that it's kind of like it can be a living document of the current situation, you know, but reflected in a creative way. So it's a, it's a mixture of interviews with real people. All the words in my play are from the people I actually interviewed, mm-hmm. but then one of the other challenges of documentary theater is I had hours of interviews with 28 different women, and then I transcribed all of them, so I had over 450 pages of transcription to sort through and create into an hour and a half play. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, that's definitely one of the challenges, too, is figuring out after you've called all the information and you've done your research, and then it's like, how do you, then it's like, how do you find the structure, you know, yes. and, and kind of turn it into a dramatic format. <laughs> and you know, and yes, and I hear hear you, and let's make clear which play we're talking about. Would you say the title for me? I want to know how you, do, do you go, do you labor through it as I do? Absolutely. So, um, I call it How We Love Slash Fuck. Oh, okay. Well, that's simple. <laughs> well, I was going by, of course, what's on the program and in the program. But okay, I'm good with that. How we love slash fuck. It is yeah. um, it is an amazing play because I found it so, as you were describing, I guess your intent was that this is real, uh, this is real women talking about real issues, and I'm going to delay it only because I just want to whet the appetite, if you will, of, uh-huh. of, our, of our listeners. I, let's step back just one because I did mention this in your intro. Tell us a bit about filmmaker Jonas Makos, the Lithuanian-American filmmaker. He's a poet, artist, who has often been called the godfather of American avant-garde cinema. 
and how you came to choose him as the subject of your documentary theater play, That's How Angels Arranged. Yeah, absolutely. So he is just such a magical human. And um, I came across him because I got commissioned by the Metropolitan Playhouse, as you mentioned, to create a short documentary piece about an East Village regular, either someone who lived or worked in East Village. And so I wasn't quite sure who to interview, so I put out a call on Facebook. Uh-huh. And I was like, hey guys, this is what I'm looking for. Any suggestions? And I had someone comment and say, Jonas, make it. Uh-huh. And they linked to his website. And then I checked out his website and I was like, oh my gosh, this man is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like he literally, he, he escaped from a forced labor camp in Nazi Germany. He came to live in New York. And then he started this whole really magical, creative life as a filmmaker and a supporter of the arts. And... So I was like, all right, let me try. Let me reach out to him. He had his email on his website. I was like, I don't think I'm going to hear back. He's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I did. I heard back pretty immediately. I think in the same day, within a couple hours, which is, if you know Jonas, that's who he is. You yes. Know? And he said, all right, I'm game. <laughs> <laughs> that's how that started. <laughs> yes. He, he so likes to, uh, I guess as he puts it, uh, I like to film what I love. Yeah. How did you, uh, and I'm sure that's why you appealed to him, because he, you know, you were so spontaneous, you you reached out, you know, uh, what is it, Marion mm-hmm. Williamson says, uh, feel the fear and do it anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> which can be said a great deal about you and your career. But that first conversation, uh, was it via telephone, or did you did he invite you over? What what happened? Yeah, we, we, he, we emailed, and he invited me over to his apartment. And I went, and his son was there also, and we talked for, like, around an hour and a half. Mm. Um, And I recorded it, both video and audio. Excellent. And, uh, yeah, and then I realized very quickly it was going to be maybe easy to create a show about him because Mm. he's so performative. So he has a lot of really interesting stories, and the way that he tells them is very dynamic. So. Mm. I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And how long did it take you to write it? I'm sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, no, that's fine. Um, Yeah, it took me about, uh, we didn't have very long, actually, from when we were asked to do it to getting it up on its feet. About maybe two weeks that I had to turn that into a performance. Wow. Yeah, and I should say, I wanted to say that Jonas, um, when I interviewed him, he was 92. Uh Uh-huh. So it was like three years ago, and then he he actually, unfortunately, he passed away earlier this year, mm. um, March of this year. He was 95, and it was interesting because I went to the memorial service, and I, uh, I performed a little excerpt from the play there, and his family was there, and it was just so beautiful. Yes. But it was, it was interesting and kind of, we were all sort of amused by the fact that everyone was shocked that he had passed away. Mm-hmm. And yes. people are like, he's 95, why yeah. are we so surprised? Because <laughs> he just <laughs> seems so full of, of life at the yeah. fullest, you know? Yeah, exactly, yeah. He had more energy than many 20-somethings that I know. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah. uh, I never met him personally, but certainly I, I know of his work and his style and, and followed it, and uh, I had the same impression. He was just he, he was just full of life. I guess there's no yeah. better way of putting it. Was the play well-received at the Metropolitan? Yeah. Yes, it was well-received. And Jonas came 
You certainly deserved it based on what I know of your first hand of your, your career. I, I wonder, um, and again, just to make clear to the audience, because uh, first of all, was it high school where you played uh, Juror 8 in, um, in yeah. uh, 12 Angry Men? So playing... That was my first performance as, ever. <laughs> uh, yes, and, and it was playing the role of a male, who traditionally male. I, I've actually directed 12 Angry Men with 12 women, but oh, wow. so I wasn't shocked by it, but it, I, it's fascinating that uh, you did that, and now, of course, we're talking about you playing Jonas in your play. What, was that the first time you, aside from high school, was that the first time you played a male character? It is, yeah, and it's the, it's the most fun I've had playing someone. I, I tell people, you know, he's a 92-year-old Lithuanian man, but he was the closest I ever came to playing someone like myself. <laughs> ah, well, tell us, yeah. tell us, tell us more. How was that? And why was he like you? Well, I guess that's really a silly question because I have lots of information on both of you. But 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 tell us, explain how that marriage, how that melding together worked for you so easily. Yeah, I think it's just because I really, his spirit inspires me so much. I feel like I can relate to his energy and his his. He's a very spiritual, like metaphysical kind of belief, and I that really resonates with me quite a lot. So I, I think I just was able to to just understand what he was saying and to feel connected to what he was saying on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just so soulful, you know, because he had this really traumatic experience when he was younger, yes. being in the forced labor camps, and you know that he talks about how there's this moment. One of the questions I asked him is. How would we? How would you describe happiness? Mm. And he says that um, it's not clear what happiness is, but just that we know sometimes that we're happy, and that this. He's like, this is an unusual example to use, but in the forced labor camp, there would be moments. You know, it's like the worst, the worst, one of the worst situations you could possibly be in as a human being. Yes. And he says there were these moments where people would just be sitting there, relaxed, singing, you know, and and somehow it was possible to be happy even though you're in the middle of a horrible situation. So just that, that perspective of uh, spirituality and connecting to, I don't know, camaraderie and other people and holding on to a sense of happiness even in a, a really terrible situation. I don't know, it just it very much resonated with me, you know? Sure, I can understand that. He, you know, yeah. he not only uh, had to flee Nazis, but the people who were saving him, the Russians 
liberating them also were not very welcoming to his attempts to film them. And he was so excited he had a camera. That was always a great story that, that I remember hearing about him. I certainly, I've never experienced anything on that level. Like, I've had a pretty cushy life, you know, compared yes. to that. But just that there's something about his spirit that is so strong and yes. so positive. And, and that's really what resonated with me. Well, I find your spirit positive and happy and uplifting and inspirational, too. I want to say that. And before we go to break, I want to take you back to your childhood, which can't be all that long ago. But <laughs> back to high school one more time, because I, uh, 12 Angry Men was, remains one of my favorite plays. And you folks changed the title to 12 Angry Jurors, yes? Yeah, because we had women in the cast. Sure, sure, sure. It. What, what, how, how was that? Did any of you feel strange that your director or teacher had decided to do this because I had that same experience, <laughs> but no one questioned it. Kids are like that, you know, sure, bring it on. But tell me, what was that like? And then to be cast in the lead, my goodness. Yeah, it was great. It was wonderful. I was so excited that we were doing that. And I think that, you know, it was an extremely fun experience. It was the first time that I ever acted on a stage. Ah. So, yeah, so I, I didn't really know what I was getting into, but I, I also accidentally got cast as the lead because we were, we were sitting and we just started to read these roles, and I happened to be assigned that lead role. And then they were like, all right, so we're going to cast you as the roles you just read. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, okay. And then I had so much fun. Like, I just enjoyed the whole process of it. I felt electrified, and um, afterwards I had this teacher come up to me who, he's very, like, he's a very stern kind of mm -hmm. Irish guy. He's, I mean, he's definitely Irish, but he's just one of those stern guys who barely ever compliments anyone and barely cracks a smile. And, and after the play, he came up to me, he's the English, our English professor, and he was like, that was very good. You were better than Henry Fonda. <laughs> like, what? Very good. Very good. Yeah, and then I was, I was like, well, people are telling me they enjoyed it. Like, and a lot of friends said they enjoyed it, too. And I enjoyed being on stage. Maybe this should be my career. Yeah. And that's when I decided to pursue acting. <laughs> Which was, of course, the question I was going for. Was that what started it? Excellent. We're going to take yeah. a short break. We're having a marvelous conversation with actor-playwright Lillian Isabella. She's our guest today. She is both the playwright and star of How We Love Slash Fuck. And on that note, stay with us. We'll be right back because there's a bigger climax to come. Hi, this is Marcello Rolando, hoping you're enjoying today's show with our guest, actor-playwright Lillian Isabella, because part of my professional mission has always been to celebrate new talent. Now we're going to hear more from Lillian about her play, How We Love Slash Fuck, and from her producer, Lindsay Elizabeth Hand. I'm Lillian Isabella, playwright and star of How We Love Slash Fuck. This play is about sex. But it's not titillating or naughty, it's raw and real. Sex is real. When you get to a certain age, it's as natural as eating or breathing or sleeping. But women are told not to express their desire or share their love of their bodies. Slide my vulva under the faucet. <laughs> Smell the cologne. <laughs> when Lillian first sent me the play to read, I sat down and even though I was completely alone, I felt extremely embarrassed 
And I found that so interesting because I was completely by myself. I read it a second time and I was like, wow, I have to produce this play. Describe your first orgasm. What makes a great lover? How do you practice self-love? Over the course of a year, I asked these questions and many more to 28 different women. And I recorded the interviews and transcribed them and turned them into monologues. And then I wrote my own personal narrative poetry about my journey creating this play and exploring my own sexuality. And then that is the connective tissue for the whole play. So you might be getting a little bit too much information about me, but it is enjoyable and I'm told it's a little funny too. <laughs> As he moves his mouth down my back and his star of David pendant traces over my ass, I, <laughs> I still have a laugh because I already know I'm going to one day. <laughs> we are here in the legendary Cherry Lane Theater, New York's longest continuously running off-Broadway theater, and we're going to put our show up here this fall. We're creating an intimate celebration of female sexuality at a time when a lot of men and women are longing to understand and heal and play. I run Edge in Motion Productions. It's a full service production company specializing in TV pilots, film, and theater. I have over 3 million views on Facebook, and collectively I have over 3 million views on YouTube as well. This summer, I'm dedicating all my time to try to find funding for how we love slash fuck. This play is so important, and we're doing this campaign because we need you, we need your contributions to make it possible. I see this play as a beginning point for a larger conversation about female sexuality. So I hope that when you come see the show, if you start out feeling a little bit uncomfortable, that by the end of it, you cannot wait to talk to your friends about it. So I really hope that you'll come join us and contribute to this play. It's gonna be a hell of a ride. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk News radio program. My guest today, actor and playwright Lillian Isabella. She is the playwright and star of How We Love Slash Fuck. And I was fortunate enough to see it recently in New York City at the Cherry Lane Theater. And our guest today, Lillian Isabella, not only wrote it, as I said, but she starred in it. It's a cast of all women of different shapes, sizes, and colors. I always love that. That's what America is and should be seen in everything we do, I believe. So I promised in the second segment that we would talk about specifically about the play. I'm very interested in how she approached it. She, of course, told us a lot in the last segment and how she approached her documentary theater piece uh, with uh, Jonas Makos, that what her process is. But we're going to jump into that. But first, let's get right to this play that so intrigued me. I'm curious about your journey from a very specific heroic person in That's How Angels Arranged to choosing to embrace the cause of all women, perhaps addressing gender inequality at its most essential intimacies. So <laughs> tell us about that. What was your process what, for creating such a play and what inspired it? Yeah, so um, I originally had this thought that I wanted to create some kind of feminist play. But I wasn't quite sure exactly what the topic would be. Uh -huh. And I'd always been curious about sexuality and had this inkling that I wanted to delve into that area of humanity a little more. Mm -hmm. 
for, for personal reasons. And then the Me Too movement happened in, you know, I think it was like mid to late 2017. Yes. And um, it was, while necessary and important, was also profoundly disturbing. Mm-hmm. And I started to have a real drive to talk about sexuality and explore sexuality in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of what was being talked about was either what women should not be doing or what men should not be doing to women. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, okay, but still, like, women enjoy having sex. So what does that look like? Yeah. Um, so I started to have a real desire to explore that and talk about that more. And I just started to do research. So I reached out to people. I created a list of women I knew who I thought might be interested in talking to me about sex. And then... I did some research online. Social media, again, was really instrumental for me for finding people. So I like did a deep dive on Twitter, and I found people who were sex-positive, outspoken advocates. And I was like, all right, I'm going to reach out to them, and I'm going to see if they want to talk to me about sex. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what to expect. You know, I wasn't sure if people were going to be receptive or responsive or what would happen. And actually, they were, quite. And I, I got to interview. I reached out to about 100 different women. And I actually interviewed 28 women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I just went from there. <laughs> Excellent. You know, I wonder, as um, I don't know if there were, I guess there were other men in the audience, yes, now that I think about it. But I was right up front. And it, for those who, uh, I want to talk more in great detail about uh, the play, because the title, of course, is intriguing. How We Love Slash Fuck. And would bring in any any number of people if only out of curiosity but it's but the play itself is infinitely more than what the title might suggest is that fair to say i mean i i like that you're saying it okay (laughs) (laughs) well because i mean you know like i said i i came because a very fine actress who's a friend of mine invited me to come but i i tell you was it's about relationships. It's about mm-hmm. communication, even nonverbal communication. How about that? It's about mm-hmm. it's about making a distinction between, or at least including as bedfellows, mm-hmm. uh, including as bedfellows both sex and intimacy, and we sometimes separate the two. Yeah. And touch and and being well, you're the playwright. You take it from there. Tell me all about your play and why we should see it. Why we should produce it. Oh, I was just ready to keep listening to you. Um, (laughs) No fair. uh, Yeah. Yeah, I love that characterization that it's about both sex and intimacy and bringing those together. Um, I think that we live in, in American culture, we live in a world where it's very much not, and sex is not an intimate thing. It's Uh like either you are objectifying the female body or you're talking about it in a crass way. But it's actually something that I would imagine most people engage in on a semi-regular basis. And so it's like that it is it is an extremely intimate part of our lives. And I think the more that we can acknowledge that publicly and talk about it, which is what I'm doing, trying to do with this play, mm-hmm. um, I'm hoping that the more we can release shame around the discussion of it, and then probably the safer and the more intimate and the more fulfilling our individual sex lives will become just by talking about it and acknowledging that it's something that we all do and it's not this crazy weird thing and it's not doesn't have to be this crass dirty thing you know it's just an activity 
and it can be a beautiful activity if you're doing it with someone you care about or if you don't want to have sex with people you care about, that's great too. You know, like whatever. Just <laughs> figuring it out and releasing shame and yeah, I think the intimacy gets left out of the cultural conversation around it in America. And I'm so happy that you think my show addresses that oh. intimate element. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's in incredibly performed by an entire the entire cast and extremely well directed. I understand uh, your director's a dancer, which I think really, really worked for the flow of the piece and the physical contact. And yet, I still agree with you completely that it really, there, I've always, I've written about this too, not a play, but uh, in my political writing, I've said, you know, I don't know what it is that has so many Americans hung up on sex. They just uh, vilify it. And then those are the very ones you find in the bathroom, you know, with wide stance or whatever in the bathroom stall. It, they're so hypocritical about it. And I just don't understand that. Where did that happen? I, I mean, so much has happened since the Puritans arrived. You would think we would have evolved beyond that. But what, what do you think? What's behind the shame and condemnation and anger? So many people have that kind of relationship with sex. What is that about? Yeah, I mean, I think that part of it is, at least as it relates to women, I think that sex and sexuality, being in touch with your sexuality, I've come to understand throughout the course of creating this play, that being in touch with your sexuality is a source of power, mm -hmm. um, and that we all know women in power freak people out, mm -hmm. right? Yes, so yes. I think that a woman who's fully embodied and in touch with her sexuality people might experience her as threatening or frightening, but I think that doesn't matter, honestly. Maybe it's because it's something we're not used to seeing or accustomed to seeing. It's scary because it's new. But honestly, like, I think that we culturally try to suppress female sexuality, like an actual expression of female sexuality, and instead heighten the objectification of the female body because it places, it keeps men in a position of power and I'm using these words, men and women, kind of all-encompassingly, but I just mean, you know, whether you're male-identifying or female-identifying, um, I think we have a habit of trying to repress the female body, the physical, you know, and also people who identify as women would maybe experience this too. But it's just that we try and repress and control the female body because the idea of the feminine being in power is threatening. And sexuality is all tied into that, because when you're connected to your sexuality, then you're, you step into your power. So, yeah, that's another reason why I wanted to create this play, was I was trying to explore, I was freshly out of a, a long-term relationship with a really wonderful man, we're still good friends, but the idea that, like, you know, I had something to explore and discover about myself and on my own, and then I wanted to get a tribe of women around me to try and just pick their brains and figure out what does it look like when we're self-actualized, when we're in our body, when we're turned on, and when we allow it to happen. And I think it, it looks like a positive change for the whole community, you know? Yes, yes. And, you know, and what was, what was the rehearsal atmosphere like? I would think the lines in your script would generate conversations would generate uh, character analysis and, and uh, how a scene was played in a way that connected with the female, the all-female cast with personal stories, secrets, confessions might slip out. 
Was that that kind of atmosphere, or did time not allow that? Yeah, it was like yes and no. So um, during rehearsals, we didn't really have time for that kind of opening up and discussion. Uh-huh. But outside of rehearsals, yeah. I would spend time with the actors, and we would share stories and exchange. Cause it's like it is performing these. I think does give a feeling of permission. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, it's okay. It's okay to talk, and it's okay to confess, and it's okay to open up. So there was definitely a lot of that happening outside of the rehearsal hours, but the rehearsal hours themselves were pretty pretty focused because we had a very short period of time. We had yes. about three weeks to get the show up on its feet. Mm. And, uh, yeah, you mentioned the director, Lorna Ventura. Yes. She is, has a dancer and choreography background, uh-huh. so I was so excited to have her on board because she has that sensibility and I knew like in the script I had written that I wanted some ensemble movement when the actors were doing their monologues so it felt like a living breathing kind of flexible you know thing so I was so excited with what she did and how she lifted it up off the page (laughs) I, I agree because it being a choreographer as well the movement how you ladies moved and touched and the spaces between you of whatever amount of space there was, how little, how much, very much was choreographed. But it had such mm-hmm. a natural flow to it. it. It itself was part of the message, very much part of the message that we were receiving. What are your plans next for How We Love slash Fuck? Well, I have a couple of different things I'd love to do with it. I would love to take it on a tour to colleges across the country mm. um, and maybe high school too. And then... I also would love to take it to the Edinburgh French Festival and potentially do an off-Broadway run. We've got a lot of ambitions for it, but I think really a, a tour of colleges or high schools would be a priority. I think it's, it's relevant and it's important for now. It's a good conversation to be having and necessary one to be. Yeah. Yes, and I, and I agree too. It's something I started to say. I don't think I completed it. As a man in the audience... There were often times watching your play where I saw myself as a man saying the very things that the female cast was saying about their romantic sexual partner. So that in my life uh, as a man, I've had the issues that your characters had. So it isn't just even though by far society and our culture and the whole hang-up over sex certainly favors the male animal as opposed to the female. But there are, there are things there I think men can both learn from, your, your, your female characters, you know, don't do this, uh, pay attention, listen, ask, uh, touch. But also I, I do think that men can bring their wives and both will find out, oh, Perhaps there's more to being married or being in a relationship or being in love or having sex than we thought. What are your thoughts? I love that. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I sincerely hope so. I, you know, the first person he said that about bringing a spouse, actually. I had a, a friend come with me that it would be great to bring your spouse to, which makes me so happy. You know, because I think, I do believe in love, as maybe corny as that sounds, and I, I do believe in forever love, and I think um, those things are so powerful and wonderful and if you can have a conversation around sex and sexuality in a more open way it might help people who are in couples too <laughs> yes and you know whether you're married or not or whether you're straight or not it yeah, doesn't matter it's totally. who, who whoever it is <laughs> whoever it is you you are sharing intimacy 
or want to share intimacy. It might be a good first date. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, there were a couple people. There were a couple people who came who were on first date. Oh wow! Now that's yeah. a courageous couple. Good for them. Uh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that it is. First of all, as I always say to actors, and when we're doing a serious dramedy, how's that? Is yeah. that it? It first and foremost is entertaining. The audience comes to be entertained. They want to hear a story. They want to enjoy the characters and how they relate to one another. So how we love slash fuck is entertaining. It is warm. It is welcoming. But it goes beyond entertaining and very subtly, not always subtly maybe, but it, it, it deals not only with relationships, not only sexual relationships, but relationships, period. And not only relationships between men and women, but relationships between women and women. And that wonderful scene between you and Tulis about being 14 years old. I will never forget that. It was hysterical. You were both geniuses. So. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> we must run Lillian, Isabella, but I, I want, give us what you would like us to take from this interview, and perhaps more importantly, to take from your play, How We Love Slash Fuck. Um, well, I think that it would be wonderful if people took away from the play a sense of curiosity. So, you know, I had, I had a friend come who told me that when she came to the show, she didn't think she had anything that she needed to know more about or explore in regards to sexuality. Mm-hmm. And then when she left the show, she was like, oh, actually, I do have some questions and things I want to explore more. Um, so, yeah, so I think my biggest hope is that people will leave the show feeling curious and empowered to explore and and be vulnerable. I think that's that's been one of my biggest lessons throughout the course of creating this play, is that vulnerability is powerful. Yes, you know? yes. And it also creates or allows you to discover a level of trust that you cannot yeah. find anywhere else until you are yeah. vulnerable. Yeah. It certainly yeah. is there in the play. How We Love Slash Fuck. I, um, I thoroughly enjoyed it as a director. I enjoyed it as, as a man. And I recommend and the very next time that I saw my female massage therapist, who is a master at touch, I told her, you must see this play. Let's give them, and by the way, being in touch with your sexuality, I have to say, I love the sneakers and the gown shot on your <laughs> website. That was beautiful. Said it all, head to that's toe. Me. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. And that's what I thought. When I saw it, I went, that's her. And that's who yeah. I saw on that stage. Tell us how we can be in touch, how we can find out more about your work. Uh, as actor and playwright, a website, uh, where do we go? Facebook, Twitter, tell us. Yeah, um, I love to connect with people on Twitter. My handle is at Lillian, O-I-L-L-I-A-N, Isabella, I-S-A-B-E-L-A. And then also on Instagram, Instagram's my new favorite, and that's at Lillian, L-I-L-L-I-A-N, dot Isabella, I-S-A-B-E-L-L-A. Excellent. Okay, I don't know that I mentioned that you produced this with Lindsay Elizabeth Hand, yes? 
Yeah, Lindsay Elizabeth Hands is my producer. She's wonderful. She really helped elevate the project so much, and I couldn't have done it without her. She's truly just such a great producer. Excellent. You'd be lucky to work with her. <laughs> well, I guess, and I got that impression. Well, I'd like to have you both on sometime in, in the future, maybe before the end of the year. But in the meantime, I wish you all the very best. Uh, Lillian Isabella, actor, playwright, amazing, New York City-based, and she's had a fantastic life for one so young. She isn't 14, <laughs> but... No, I'm not. No. <laughs> I'm not, <sure>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not at all 14. Visit her website, you'll no. see what I mean. But she is a tremendous <laughs> talent everyone should uh, be aware of and try to keep uh, to follow. As a matter of fact, I think somewhere... In my researching for the show, there's a place where one can click and have updates from you. Is that, or did I get that somewhere else? Maybe not. Just go to her website. You'll find out what's going on. Very good, Lillian? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Thank you so, so much. much. Wonderful interview. Wonderful to talk to you. And I feel the same way. We've got to do it again, for sure. And if in person, so much the better. Lillian Isabella, <laughs> actor and playwright. Thank you so much for being on The Reasonable Voices today. We wish you all the very best in all you do. You are an amazing talent. Thank you. Thank you. Bye now. <laughs> Hi, this is Marcello Rolando, hoping you're enjoying today's show with our guest, actor-playwright Lillian Isabella. Because part of my professional mission has always been to celebrate new talent. Now we're going to hear more from Lillian about her play, How We Love Slash Fuck. And from her producer, Lindsay Elizabeth Hand. I'm Lillian Isabella, playwright and star of How We Love Slash Fuck. This play is about sex, but it's not titillating or naughty. It's raw and real. Sex is real. When you get to a certain age, it's as natural as eating or breathing or sleeping. But women are told not to express their desire or share their love of their bodies. Slide my vulva under the faucet. <laughs> when Lillian first sent me the play to read, I sat down and even though I was completely alone, I felt extremely embarrassed and I found that so interesting because I was completely by myself. I read it a second time and I was like, wow, I have to produce this play. Describe your first orgasm. What makes a great lover? How do you practice self-love? Over the course of a year, I asked these questions and many more to 28 different women. And I recorded the interviews and transcribed them and turned them into monologues. And then I wrote my own personal narrative poetry about my journey creating this play and exploring my own sexuality. And then that is the connective tissue for the whole play. So you might be getting a little bit too much information about me, but it is enjoyable and I'm told it's a little funny too. <laughs> As he moves his mouth down my back and his star of David pendant traces over my ass, I, <laughs> I still have a laugh because I already know I'm going to write about him one day. <laughs> We're here in the legendary Cherry Lane Theater, New York's longest continuously running off-Broadway theater, and we're going to put our show up here this fall. We're creating an intimate celebration of female sexuality at a time when a lot of men and women are longing to understand and heal and play. 
I run Edge in Motion Productions. It's a full-service production company specializing in TV pilots, film, and theater. I have over 3 million views on Facebook, and collectively I have over 3 million views on YouTube as well. This summer, I'm dedicating all my time to try to find funding for How We Love slash Fuck. This play is so important, and we're doing this campaign because we need you, we need your contributions to make it possible. I see this play as a beginning point for a larger conversation about female sexuality. So I hope that when you come see the show, if you start out feeling a little bit uncomfortable, that by the end of it, you cannot wait to talk to your friends about it. So I really hope that you'll come join us and contribute to this play. It's gonna be a hell of a ride. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, The Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Great White Hope and Make America Great Again versus Great White Shark, Deep Blue and Female. The political promises of a presidential inauguration can reflect with malice toward none, with charity for all, or ask what you can do for your country or, with trickle-down camouflage, blind Americans to coming treason. Truth is, however, those, like Cheney and Trump, who seek omnipotence through the potential power of the presidency, have raped of, by, and for the people, and left it profaned in the gutter, clinging to whatever shred of exceptionalism Franklin challenged we keep. So, should we desire to save both girls and boys from the razor burn of traditional masculinity, perhaps it's time to put away childish things and shake off the dust of bigoted men. Better we share the deep blue of America's female future than be repeatedly devoured by the marketing sharks of Madison Avenue, K Street, Wall Street, and social media herding people with blind faith in those for whom we are merely dollar signs. You see, it's not capitalism, but deal-no-deal deal wannabes, needing high walls to hide their lowest places in the heart. Let us now listen for the whispers of reason beckoning us to follow the path of probable truth to possible wisdom. 1. Both BuzzFeed's report and Mueller's rebut bear witness. 2. Russian spy Marina Butina seals together forever GOP and NRA money laundering. 3. Men like Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan, following Dick Cheney and G.W. Bush examples, will one day seek neither to be seen nor heard again, because of the courage of women marching from the streets to seats of power. Aware of the commonality of dishonest and twisted political twins, Boris Johnson, from across the pond, and an American president who would gladly drown America in the Volga River, seeming oblivious to the Trump family gaining the whole world, is not his iso-prophet line. Let us eject the pretender. While the whole world is watching without subjugating itself to the whims of the self-serving, arrogant, love-it-or-leave-it residue of trumped conservatives, we, in alliance with Me Too, Never Again, and, yes, NATO, can resurrect the America that unites nations in a state of Parisian perceptions, Canadian courage, and European unity. This week... While continuing to focus all Americans on the value of all humanity, let's be particularly mindful that the ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment is still kept at arm's length by the sexism of only two men in Virginia's House of Delegates, Kirk Cox 
and Marcole, who, like Mitch McConnell, can and do suffocate the power of legislative voting by keeping women in their man-made place. Remembering we've been settling for rhinestones since our 2017 inaugural America first infamy, I have a dream betrayal and presidential treachery, cherish this. Since 21 January 2017, each Women's March has proved America will never go away again. It was on a 100-degree bright sunny day in Times Square when I noticed a woman obviously using her choice of chapeau to hide her face while trying to get a cab. Sensing it would be a mistake to startle her, though I did, I nonetheless approached close enough to whisper, I'd be happy to get you a taxi, Miss Channing. Following a momentary start, she whispered back in that unforgettable voice, Oh, would you? Securing a yellow rolling air-conditioned miracle and helping her inside, she asked how she could possibly ever thank me. I answered, My mother is a huge fan and would be thrilled to know that I kissed the hand of Carol Channing. Without missing a beat, she extended both, adding, Here, kiss them both. Before our republic was Franklin's, if you can keep it, our immigrant ancestors were welcomed by first responding natives in thanksgiving however since collectively inspiring verdicts and letterers ugly american we have made too many who don't look like mike pence and dick cheney physically suffer the vice of indigenous racial financial sexist and gender violation so how do we restore our better angels celebrate the lives of carol channing and dr martin luther king jr by honoring the cultural descendants of wounded knee harriet tubman japanese americans imprisoned in internment camps during world war ii and like alice paul stand tall before the parade passes by for dreamers for women and for all who believe the american dream like justice is for all of god's children in order to keep america still going strong thank you and join us become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world thank you for continuing to listen to support and share the reasonable voice blog talk radio with family and friends especially online we enjoy hearing from you and in response yes we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors so please do continue to email us at the reasonable voice at gmail.com however if you prefer to simply make a donation your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through paypal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the home page of the reasonable voice website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.